Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org slash give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org slash give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. We continue together our journey through seizing your divine moment as we hear God's invitation to dare to live a life of adventure. We, we began by recognizing that all of us are time travelers journeying moment by moment through life. And these moments are rich with opportunity, capacity, potential, laced by God waiting for us to choose to seize them. The choices are the most spiritual activity of any human being. Before and beyond everything else we do that we know as spiritual, choosing is the most powerful. And then last week we, we began looking at five essential characteristics of, of a woman or a man who seizes divine moments. We, we call them the Jonathan factor because they're, they're born out or expressed through Jonathan, son of Saul, in one very specific experience that we're looking at together. Now we're looking beyond initiative, beyond just doing something, to this realm of uncertainty. And to recognize that those individuals that, that seem to move through life with great power and intentionality are men and women who know they don't know, who are able to live with ambiguity, uncertainty, instability, chaos, and yet find clarity and purpose and mission that gives them an intentionality when they live their life. I want to read the last few paragraphs of the chapter on uncertainty. As I was flying home to Los Angeles on New Year's Eve, I looked beneath me, and a thick layer of clouds made it appear as though there was a gentle cushion, which, if necessary, would soften my fall. I looked westward and saw the horizon lined with a rich stroke of red and orange, almost accentuating the mystery of what exists beyond our line of sight. I was reflecting on the course of events that had just surrounded the death of Kim's foster father. Death is one of life's inescapable reminders that we live in a realm of uncertainty. After the memorial, the family gathered at Theodore's house. 
It was late in the evening. Everyone was going home. The family gathering was both unique and peculiar in that all the children were foster children who had received the care of Theodore and Ruth over the years. As one relative moved toward the door, she asked out loud to herself, now which door did I come in from? Was it this one or the other? My son, curious about her question, interrupted her and asked, why does it matter? She responded in a matter-of-fact way, I always leave from the same place I came. Curious, Aaron asked, why? Are you superstitious? She responded, yes, about some things I am, and this is one of them. So Aaron prodded further, what will happen if you don't go out the door you came in? She curtly responded, I don't know, but I'm not about to find out. Superstitions have such power to bind and hold us. They also have an unusual ability to let us see into our deepest fears. How many of us feel the compulsion to always go back to where we came from, to return to what we know, what we can predict, to what we can control? Is it possible that we too are afraid to go out a different door? Yes, the new way out is full of uncertainty, but with that uncertainty comes mystery, adventure, and wonder. The Jonathan factor moves you confidently forward into the future when you know that you don't know. In the midst of that moment, I knew that Aaron was being gripped by a worldview, that you should always go back to where you came from. And so I sat down with him just very quickly, and I said, Aaron, Ruth focuses on always returning from where she came. But your focus, our focus, needs to be to go to where we have not yet gone. There, there's a part of human nature that, that wants life to be predictable, stable, secure. That, that's in all of us. There's not one of us that escapes at least some moment of anxiety, some moment of, of questioning of whether the unknown is really the best place to go. I, I have to confess that when I get on airplanes, I, I have this fleeting image time and time again of the plane blowing up. Some of you are laughing. That was not a joke. And so it's not that I, I'm free of any anxiety. It's not that I'm oblivious to, to fear. It's certainly not that I'm just too dumb to get it, that this is dangerous. It's that I have to work through that and recognize that beyond the uncertainty lies the adventure. And in the adventure is found the life. The, the Bible has a, a simple word for this experience. It's called faith. This is really what a life of faith is all about. It's moving forward on what God has spoken. Remember, when, when you're invited to just do something, it doesn't mean just do anything, because there's a lot of really stupid things you shouldn't do. A lot of foolish things I hope you don't do, and a lot of evil things that you really should avoid. But there's so much good to do, so much truth to live out, so much word to, to walk on, to step forward and live life in. 
And so as we step out and initiate and just do something, we have to be ready because in that something, there is this uncertainty, this mystery that is inescapable. And you and I will, perhaps even day by day, find ourselves in that place where God calls us to step off the edge of the cliff and to place our feet on what he says is solid path, even though to us it is invisible, imperceivable, dangerous. Have you ever been there? Where God is speaking to you, calling you forward. You sense it in your heart. You want the adventure, but it seems as if what he's asking you to do is insane. And so you stand at the edge of that, that cliff, and you are reminding yourself of everything you believe, of everything you know to be true. And then you look in front of you and you're reminded of everything you don't know to be true. And then you take that step. And not until the sole of your foot hits the heart of the ground, do you see the path. And I do want you to know that, that before he took that first step, the path was invisible. But then after he took that step, from my perspective, that path was still pretty thin and dangerous. And if he fell to the right or to the left, it'd be the end of the story. 1 Samuel 14, beginning again for verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing the ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the path that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz, the other Sinak. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Giva. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. We'll stop there this morning. We'll stop on that thunderous exclamation of confidence in God. That, that, that last statement by Jonathan is the kind that evokes so much faith inspires us to move forward. Now, remember the scenario. Israel's at war with the Philistines. The Philistines have thousands and thousands of, of chariots and soldiers and weapons. And, and when the Israelite soldiers, at one time around 3,000, heard and saw the strength and power of the Philistines, they began running for their lives, fleeing in fear, hiding in caves. And so now the army of Israel is down to 600 men, and they only had two swords, one with Saul, one with Jonathan. And so they're sleeping under this pomegranate tree. In the middle of the night, Jonathan awakens. Something brings him from this unconscious slumber to open his eyes. And he seemed to become keenly aware of this moment he was in. And 
And so he moves over to the one person that has been entrusted to him as armor bearer. I mean, after all, Jonathan has no authority to override his father Saul. Saul is king. Saul is the general. Saul has access to him, the priest of God, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. None of that is available to Jonathan in that moment. But something inside of Jonathan just could not wait. Something was, was pent up inside. Something was boiling inside of him. And he had to just do something. And so he leaned over and and. He shook his armor bearer, he woke him up, and he said, come, let's go over to the Philistine side, to those uncircumcised fellows. And he crescendos it with this amazing declaration, whether we are, we are many or whether we are few, the Lord is able to save. Isn't that the kind of declaration we love to hear? Anyone, have you ever gone over to a Christian bookstore? They sell a few books and a lot of paraphernalia. Right? And you find everything from, from keychains to bookmarkers to, to plaster of Paris rocks that somehow got engraved with different verses. And you have all this stuff. You have Christian t-shirts. And there are certain statements, declarations, passages in the Bible that, that just seem to lend themselves toward this kind of material, doesn't it? I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That, that was the first verse in the Bible someone ever gave me. They, they, they cross-stitched this beautiful little verse for me, and it said, Irwin can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. It was personalized. I thought, I'm in the Bible. This is so wonderful. And it was so inspiring. The other verse is, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. And if you'll go to these these bookstores and go to the section on, on inspiration. These are the verses that will be available to you so you can treasure, hang from your rearview mirror, put on your refrigerator. You can wear it, stick it, sew it, glue it. I mean, it is available to you in every form and shape. But what happens is that these verses of inspiration and promise are plucked out of the Bible and oftentimes extracted from their context. And so we get a skewed and distorted view of reality. You see, before, Jonathan says, whether we're many or few, the Lord is able to save. And, and that's such a, a true statement, isn't it? It doesn't matter if there's one of us or a million of us. I mean, the promise there is that when God calls you to act and when God needs something to happen, he doesn't need your resources, your intellect. He doesn't need your gifts and talents. He doesn't need uh, all the, the armaments or resources. Or he doesn't need a number of people. God can work through the smallest and insignificant of us to do great and amazing things in human history. And that is a promise to us that inspires us and should give us confidence as we move forward, but we should never take it out of its context. See, right before that, right when he wakes up his armor and he said, let's go over to those uncircumcised fellows, he says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Now, if I could just translate that into more earthy language, he's saying, maybe God will help. Isn't that great? Wouldn't that just wake you right up? Wouldn't that get your spiritual adrenaline flowing? Hey, come on, come on, come on. The king won't go. The army won't go. I've got half the weapons, although it's only one. You can carry it until things get dangerous. Then you have to give it to me because I'm the king's son. There's only, oh, a few thousand of them. 
let's go to the Philistine outpost, to those uncircumcised fellows. Hey, you know, God might even help. Now, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm that armor bearer, I'm not really looking for battle anyway. Because I'm just the armor bearer. I'm not really the armor user. And maybe I have a lot of faith as an armor bearer. Maybe I've had a journey where I really believe in God and trust in him. Well, then just, Jonathan, wake me up when you know for sure. That's all I want. Just wake me up and say, I had a vision in the middle of the night. Even if you're wrong, just lie to me, delude me. Just make me feel as if you know. Because a lot of us, we just at least want to think we know. Even if we don't know, we know. I mean, wouldn't it have been so much better? He said, look, let's go fight the Philistines. The Lord has spoken to me. Let's go, man. We're, he's going to do this thing. He's waiting on us. Have you ever gone to a Christian bookstore and, and seen this verse? Maybe God will help us. Can you imagine putting that on your refrigerator? When you get up tomorrow to face the challenges of your family or your, your occupation, when you have to face all the difficulties in front of you, when you're looking at all the bills and you don't know how to pay them and, and, and how you're going to make ends meet, you just open up the Bible and, and pull out your little memory verse, maybe God will help me today. Wouldn't it be great if we had these mosaic t-shirts that said, God will help us, and in the back it said, maybe we would just evoke so much inspiration and faith, wouldn't we? But what Jonathan understood was that there's some things in this life you will not know. And if you wait to know them, you will miss out on life entirely. Do you know that you don't know? And now if you're here and you're just a guest and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and if you've had Christian friends who act like they know, you can grab them after this morning and say, you've been lying to me. You don't know as much as you think. See, that the secret to the Christian experience is not that all of a sudden you know everything. This is not access to the kingdom of God Encyclopedia Britannica. What happens is that we learn how to thrive in uncertainty, not how to eliminate it. The confidence is all about who God is and what God can do and what we're invited and called to live out. After that, there is an amazing amount of uncertainty. And that's why I think this uncertainty fleshes itself out in, in at least two different dimensions of faith. There's this level of faith that we can call second dimension faith deals with all that unexplainable supernatural stuff. You know, the stuff that, that when you hear it happens to someone else, you're really skeptical and cynical, and you go, I don't really think that happened. And then when it happens to you, you're really confused because you're still skeptical and cynical, but it happened to you, and now you don't even know how to explain it because it happened to you. It's this supernatural context, this miraculous context, this, this environment where you pray. And to your surprise and astonishment, God answers and moves. Where you begin to trust God in what he says, and all of a sudden he acts and activates in human history. And before you know it, God's fingerprints all over your life in the supernatural arena. 
And this morning, we're not going to focus on how to get to the second level or second dimension of faith. Because until we learn how to live out the first dimension of faith, that second dimension really doesn't open up for us. Because the first dimension of faith is about acting and moving on what you know to be true. You see, what, what Jonathan understood was there, there are things God wants done. And someone needs to do them. And I, I don't know how God's going to act. I don't know how he's going to respond in the middle of this. He may let us die in the middle of this operation. But what I know is that God wants someone to do this. And so let's go and, and, and act in alignment with God's heart and God's purpose in human history. Maybe he'll help. See, maybe this is the moment that he's been waiting for. It's not just Jonathan. He wasn't out of step. You find this pervasively throughout the scriptures. Another great example is in Daniel chapter 3 when you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Remember those guys? Well, when King Nebuchadnezzar got all full of himself and he thought he should erect an idol in his, really as a reflection of himself and when they worship that false god, they'd be worshiping Nebuchadnezzar and he was listening to bad advice. So he was trying to get everyone to worship him or worship his false god. He had this huge orchestra playing and when the musicians played, everyone was to bow down and worship this god. But Daniel wouldn't do it. And not only would Daniel not stop praying to the true and living God, he, he didn't even just move into his closet to pray. Daniel kept praying at the window so that everyone would know that he was going to do what was right regardless of the outcome or consequence. And then you have these three guys, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and, and they get kind of positioned to make the king angry. And they, they refuse to worship this, this false god. And the king is informed of this. He gets angry. He says, well, maybe they just missed it. And so they bring him in. And he says, look, I'm going to give you another chance. The band's going to play. We'll play anything you want. You want jazz? You want rock? You want alternative country? Even country will play for you, he says. And, uh, uh. He says, whatever makes you feel more comfortable in your worship experience, all we want for, from you is that you worship the God that we created and stop worshiping the true and living God. And because Nebuchadnezzar had gone to one of these motivational conferences, how to inspire your employees, he had a blazing furnace available. He had it really nice and hot, and he said, and if you need some motivation, some encouragement to do this, you either worship the God I created or you become wood for the fire. Now, that's the kind of inspiration that usually works. But these guys, they just didn't get it. They, they didn't seem to really understand that, that they were going to die. Or, or maybe, maybe they did. Because in verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. There's another one of those verses. Those inspirational t-shirt, bumper sticker, Plaster of Paris rock. Motivational, inspirational verses. The God we serve is able to save us from it. Isn't that exciting? But, you know, the problem with these guys is they just can't stop talking when they need to. It says, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. 
But then there's verse 18. But, I don't need a but. I need an and. I need it on top of that, in your face. I don't need a but. But he goes, but even if he does not. What's he talking about? Even if he does not. Can you imagine if this is like Shadrach saying that, Meshach, and Abednego, wait, 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 what are you talking about, man? What do you mean, if he doesn't? If he doesn't, let's reconsider, you know? And, uh, it's not even, but even if he does not, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Here is the, the driving reality of men and women who seize those divine moments is that they understand there's some things they can know without any doubt. And there are other things that you cannot know and you need to know that you don't know. And as you move through uncertainty, what it gives you the compass to drive forward is when you make those decisions of faith, not based on outcome or consequence, but simply because it is the right thing to do. A lot of times faith just looks like faithfulness. And these men said, look, King, we know what our God can do. We know what he's capable of. But even if he doesn't, because sometimes he doesn't, it's kind of hard to know how he plays things out. You, sometimes you, you don't even know until you're in the fire. <laughs> Bad metaphor for the moment. Have you ever been in that fire? That moment where you're facing the furnace? Nebuchadnezzar got so mad he had the furnace turned up seven times hotter. So hot that one of the soldiers, when he got near it, was consumed. Have you ever been in that moment where you're saying, God, I know that you open unusual doors, but this is not a door I want you to open because I don't want to go through it. See, so many times, it's this first dimension of living where there's so much uncertainty, and yet we know the right thing. You ever felt like you just needed God to send an angel to speak? To remove the uncertainty? To clarify the situation? To, to make certain your next step? Your course of action? And yet so many times, in fact, I would say the dominant number of times in our lives that we have choices to make that are so significant. It's not the information that we lack, but the courage to act on the truth we know. Because what happens is that life becomes so complicated and, and our situation sometimes becomes so burdensome, so difficult that, that it just seems like God's advice falls far too short. We convince ourselves that he, he cannot possibly understand that in this particular scenario, he would change his ethics, rearrange his priorities, reconsider his values, change his character. Sometimes the frustration of the journey of the adventure, it's, it's as if God has called us to run through the woods while we were born blind. And all we have is a voice that calls us forward. I imagine it was, it was like that for this man in the Gospel of John chapter 9. He had a chance encounter 
with God through Jesus Christ. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. What a scenario. This man who had been blind for years, decades, happens to be on this path where Jesus and his disciples are walking and the disciples, instead of being concerned with this man's needs, they, they begin a theological discussion. Well, why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And they were so much like us, at times more concerned with getting the information right than, than getting the life right. And in the midst of this, Jesus says, it wasn't because of his sin or his parents' sin. This man is blind so that God's glory could be revealed in his life. So that he could experience the life that God created him to have. And I know this may be hard to embrace, but, but even the crisis and pain of your life is the context in which God takes you on the adventure. And so they watch Jesus in the midst of this conversation begin to spit on the ground. And he, he spits on the ground and he mixes the spit with dirt and he creates mud. And, and now this man was blind, but he was not deaf. And as he was listening to the crowd around him, he had to have known what was going on. And he had to have known this man, Jesus, who was this, this teacher from God, this, this miracle worker was there in that moment and without question in his heart, he must have been filled with a longing and, a, and perhaps even a, an inkling of belief that he might see if Jesus so wished it or willed it. But he, he determines that Jesus is spitting on the ground. What is he doing? He, he's making some kind of mud, what's going on? And all of a sudden, this man who is blind, here's the step toward him, and here's the movement of Jesus' body, and then he feels this mud pressed against his face, caked against his eyes. What in the world is Jesus doing? Why would Jesus take spit and dirt and make mud and, and, and kick the eyes of a man born blind. Hasn't he had enough humiliation in his life? Isn't there enough pain in his life? Why doesn't Jesus just speak and, and remove the blindness by a word or, or touch him with his hands and, and heal his blindness? Why does he do this? And I know what you're thinking. Well, that, that was God's spit, right? not just spit spit it, 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 it's God's spit it's not like your spit or my spit it's it's divine spit <laughs> heavenly spit but best I can tell Jesus was fully God and fully man and this part came from the fully man part 
This was just good old-fashioned spat. Just nasty spat. The stuff in your mouth that right now you will swallow. <laughs> but if you spit it out, you wouldn't drink your own spat, would you? And Jesus was spitting on the ground. Now, if you don't believe me, you can go outside in a moment and check this for yourself. It takes a lot of spit to make dirt into mud. This wasn't just a dainty splattering of spit. This was a lot of spit. And Jesus took that spit, and then he took another very refined ingredient, dirt, and he mixed the spit in the dirt, and he made mud. And he caked it together in his hands. And there was enough liquid to hold it together. And then he placed it against the man's eyes. And what it seems in this moment is instead of helping the man, he has just humiliated him. And then he says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. No, and you'll be healed. Just go to the pool and sold and wash. Okay, I'm done. Finished. That was cool. And can you imagine what the crowd must have been thinking? Can you imagine what this blind man must have been thinking? I would not leave. I'm, I have to question my own response in that moment. I don't think I would just walk off to some pool called Siloam with mud on my face. Besides, he doesn't even bother to help me. He doesn't show me the way. He doesn't take me there. He just says, go get there. I'm blind. <laughs> and if I wasn't blind, I'd have mud caked on my eyes, and so I wouldn't be able to see on top of that. I live my life on the street because no one cares enough about my life. Who's going to take me to the pool? I think I would just reach and grab. And just grab God. Say, I will not let go. I will not leave until you heal me. I want to see. You'll give me my sight, and then I'll go and wash. And all Jesus says is go and wash. Go to the pool of Siloam. And John puts it there for us. That word means sent. Jesus was saying, go to the place of obedience. Go there. Trust me. Do what I ask. He went. I don't know what he was thinking while he went. I, I, I have to imagine he had deep questions about who Jesus was and what was happening in this moment. And maybe, just maybe, what was going through his heart and mind while he was walking to the pool. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. He went and he washed and he saw he went and he washed and he saw. Whenever we're walking on this journey, 
when we face the reality of uncertainty, what we want is to see and then to go and to wash. We want the, the miracle before the obedience. But this process is the way of the journey. You go on what you know. You do what is clear. And it's in the midst of that uncertainty where the mystery and the wonder and the adventure is born. I wonder how many of us are half-baked, half-caked, half-prepared, halfway there. If we've been blind and we've had this encounter with Jesus, but we're just walking around blind with mud and spit and dirt, caked against our eyes. Because the last thing Jesus said for us to do, we just left undone. Do you need to go to the place called sent? To meet Jesus Christ is to put your confidence in his character. To trust him. To take him at his word. Because this life is supposed to be an adventure. It's not supposed to be a dot to dot. Pre-programmed existence. It is a life where you find in the moments so much miracle there waiting to be unlocked by the faith of your response. I wonder this morning if you need to be translated into this new experience, this new relationship, this new adventure. Oh yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The furnace is heated up seven times hotter. Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He commands that they be thrown in. They, they get tossed in with ropes, but when they go in, the, the soldiers throwing them in are consumed and killed, and they tumble into the furnace again. An open door they had never gone through before, and I'm sure did not want to go through then. But if they had not gone through the door that God had chosen for them, they would have never lived a life only explained by God. And in the midst of that furnace, there was three of them, but then there's a fourth one who shows up. God met them in the midst of the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar, looking from a safe distance, says, Joe, boys, good to see you. No hard feelings. Looks like you invited friends. Would you come back out? Not even the king could go there. You know why? Because they went on an adventure you can only go on when invited by God and in his presence. And so they came back out and brought Nebuchadnezzar on the next phase of their journey. I wonder this morning, 
if you need to let God take you through the door, that brings life. That's what Jesus said about himself in John 10. He said, I am the door. Whoever comes in through me and comes out will end up in green pastures, in wide open spaces, and you will begin to live. Every time I see someone go through that door, I realize the fire can no longer destroy God's purpose for their life. That's the certainty. I was over at a restaurant yesterday, California Grill. I, was, I had flown in from Phoenix and wanted to make this lunch appointment so badly. And got up early, went on standby, got on a plane. It was just amazing how God got me back in time. And it was with a, a man named John Torres. I, I just knew that we had a God moment, that we were intersecting, and it was a moment for both of us to seize. And as we talked, I learned so much about him, about his own spiritual journey, about his own sense and search for God. So, so interesting and magnetic. And I thought, oh God, I pray that today would be the day he just walks through this door. And as we kept talking, he asked some hard questions, some serious questions about God, about the condition of the world, about how God cares about the people in India and other places on the planet. And and all of a sudden, as we walked through this journey and we just opened up the scriptures, and it was so funny, I said, well, let me go get my Bible. And he says, well, I have one. And I, I thought, you know, I'm the one that's supposed to have a Bible, but that, that's okay. And so we opened up his Bible and began looking at it, and, and it just seemed like the words just were exploding off the pages. And then the moment came, the moment where I said, John, this is, this is, your moment, would you like to step through it and enter a relationship to the living God and become a follower of Jesus? And he looked at me and goes, let's do it. Let, what do I need to do? And so we stepped out of the restaurant and walked outside and my car was over here, but I thought, you know, I'm not gonna go to the car. And I turned left over to where the main street was, intersection, I think it's Painter and, and maybe Philadelphia. And right there, there's like a concrete bus stop. And I said, you know, John, Jesus says, if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before the, his father in heaven. But if you're ashamed of him before men, he'll be ashamed of you before all the angels. And I said, so we could go to the car, but that just doesn't seem right. If you're serious about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and beginning this adventure with him, then would you just kneel. Let's kneel right here and, and open this open space and and you invite Jesus Christ into your life. And he said, let's do it. And he just got on his knees. And we knelt together and we held hands and, and cried out to God, invited Jesus Christ to be his Lord and God. And when he finished praying, we just hugged and he was on this new adventure. And I said, you know, John, is, is this just the right moment? I had asked him to do something for me. See, John, sings a song that talks about following God. It's a love story. It's really about a man and a woman. But the chorus goes like this. I'll go with you to lands I have never seen or visited. I'll go with you. On boats across oceans, 
that I know no longer exist with you. I'll go with you to lands I've never seen or visited. I'll go with you. On boats across oceans that I know no longer exist, with you, I will go. Jesus invites you and me on an adventure. Nothing less than a love song. What will your response to him be? Will you go and visit places, step into experiences, live a life that cannot be known outside of him? Will you go to the place called sense so that you can finally see and know that he is the one who created you. He's the one who died on your behalf. And he is the one who can give you life. Let's pray together. Just bow your heads for a moment. If you're here this morning and you've yet to yield your life to Jesus Christ, but this is your defining divine moment. And right now in your heart, you long for nothing more than to know God, to have his forgiveness, to begin this adventure with Jesus Christ. Right now, you just talk to God and just give him your life right now. Become his follower at this moment. Father, I pray for those who are here who need to be translated out of existence into life, need to be moved out of the mundane into the miraculous, I pray, God, that you would hear our prayers today. Hear their prayer. That right now, you would just envelop them in your love. And that they could know today that this was the defining moment. For them, there was no turning back. They begin to follow Christ now. They belong to you. I pray, God, that today, men and women, in this place, would embrace the adventure by seizing this divine moment. And I pray, God, for those who are here who have known you but have lost the adventure. They've been paralyzed in uncertainty and they've forgotten what they know because they've been overwhelmed by what they do not know. And I just ask you, God, to get them back on the path today to live this life that you've called us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together.